an application of a materialist analysis of war would be the trace of the underlying contradictions in existing social relations. That is to say, to link the concept of war to imperialism, to colonialism, to exploitation, to dispossession, and even to the alienation of human beings with all that being a byproduct of a particular configuration of economic activity in a particular historical epoch, in the current case, capitalism. For our first episode for season two, we decided to start off by looking at Marxism and international humanitarian law. Critical approaches to world affairs help us reevaluate established norms and mainstream narratives from a different viewpoint. What does Marxist analysis have to say about international humanitarian law and war? Well, let's find out. Hi there, and uh, welcome to another episode of the Diplomatic Academy, The Conversation. I am your host, Petros Petrikos. Now, this episode introduces an alternative perspective with uh, some very interesting and insightful philosophical connotations on Marxism and international humanitarian law. As you may understand, this is something not really examined in mainstream analysis, which is why we wanted to shed some light over this approach through our podcast. For this episode, I am hosting Andreas Piberidis. Hello, Andreas. It's good to have you with us. Hello, Petros, and thanks for the invitation. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Fantastic. Uh, and I'm just going to read out a bit uh, Andreas's profile. Uh, Andreas Piberidis is a lawyer and doctoral candidate of international law at the University of Glasgow. After graduating from the Law School of Aristotle University of Thessaloniki, he continued his studies at Leiden University graduating with an LLM in international law and specializing in international humanitarian law cum laude. Andreas has worked as a researcher of international humanitarian law at the Kalshevan Giskis Forum of the Grotius Center for International Law at the Leiden University, and he has also worked as an intern at the Embassy of Cyprus in Cuba and as a trainee lawyer at the Office of the Attorney General of the Republic of Cyprus and as a military officer at the Cyprus National Guard. Now, Andreas, this topic is quite interesting and quite unique, but I think it's, it would be best uh, to first look at the epistemological approach of Marxism and particularly what happens with the legal methodology and framework. Why is this important to have this conversation today? Well, Petrus, uh, first of all, Marxism rests on two fundamental epistemic pillars, di- dialectics and materialism. Having a dialectical point of view, if I may offer an oversimplified account of the notion uh, for the purposes of being succinct, means to accept the constant change of things. There is this saying attributed to Heraclitus that you cannot step into the same river twice. Everything is in constant change. To move from abstractness to something more concrete, a very basic application of this in my research focusing on the relationship between international humanitarian law here and after IHL and human rights, it is to stress out that war is a contingent event dependent on the developments of a certain spatial-temporal framework. Contrary to the metaphysical account of war, an account that sees war as a normal or even natural concept emanating from the egoistic nature of human beings, a dialectical approach will differentiate between the different types of war analyze the particularities and their functions, 
and allow a certain space for the overcoming of this particularly historically contingent social relation. At the same time, in contradistinction to the Hegelian philosophy, in Marxism, dialectics are, are coupled with a materialist understanding of the reality. While dialectics focus on contradictions and the way reality is in constant change, materialists focus on what is the source of these contradictions. In its most basic crude sense, materialism means to prioritize the object and actions over the subject and ideas. For example, an application of a materialist analysis of war would be the trace of the underlying contradictions in existing social relations. That is to say, to link the concept of war to imperialism, to colonialism, to exploitation, to dispossession, and even to the alienation of human beings itself, with all that being a byproduct of a particular configuration of economic activity in a particular historical epoch, in the current case, capitalism. Okay, so um, this is quite interesting. And as I've said, indeed, it touches a lot upon the philosophical approach of Marxism uh, and uh, in any framework really but when we look at the legal framework specifically how is the marxist approach applied in law as we understand law as a more of a human uh, construct how, how is it uh, applicable in this situation how does marxism understand law well of course uh, marxism and the marxist approach to law uh, can mean a lot of things uh, there are a lot of uh, um, different strands within the marxist tradition but I think that the Marxist approach to law should be interested at least with the examination of the role of law in the reproduction of the structural inequalities in class societies. And if I may offer uh, five fundamental theses about a Marxist approach to law, that will be that law is political, that law is expressive of the prevailing economic relations, that law has an inherent relation with coercion. It's when we say that we are enforcing our rights or we are enforcing law, violence has an inherent and intimate relation with law. That law reflects the interests of the dominant class, but only in the last instance. Hence, we say that law is relatively autonomous. And finally, that law is ideological. It both propagates and provides legitimation to the embedded values of the dominant class. Even though law is trying to portray itself as a neutral arbiter, essentially you're saying that law cannot be objective. It's in a way subjective because it has a political and an ideological connotation. Even though the people who at the time are perhaps drafting law, they might not necessarily be intending to do so but because of the is it because of the system that we inhabit that law essentially becomes subjective as such surely independently of any intentions uh, de facto law serves someone and some purpose so uh, whether this uh, law is serving the workers or is serving the political elite law in any case is inescapably political and the legal craft there is no choice that is not political. Taking this into account, how and uh, why would you say that Marxism is actually a useful tool in examining international humanitarian law? And perhaps if we take it a step further, 
uh, when we look at uh, atrocities and other violations historically? Why is it useful? Is it because it offers this critique or...? Well, the, the critique of law from Marxists, and especially the critique of human rights and humanitarian law, starts not from the cases that we uh, identify violations of the legal rules, but with the cases that people adhere to the legal rules. For example, human rights that are founded on the formal equality of legal subjects come with the split of the unified social space that existed uh, in the feudal world into a political domain contained to the state apparatus and an economic domain found in the civil society. Therefore, the liberal revolutions, together with the progressive establishment of human rights, achieved the emancipation of the capitalist economy from the political. A Marxist approach to law starts from the critique of the liberal understanding of freedom itself. As Pashuganis, an influential Soviet legal scholar, puts it, the putative freedom of will of the worker in concluding an employment contract is nothing else than the possibility of quietly dying from starvation. Equality before the law, therefore, can be proved to, re to be reproducing existing inequalities. Take, for example, uh, the current situation with the pandemic. The government orders a curfew horizontal for rich and poor. Will it be experienced in the same way by the legal subjects? Even more, let's talk about human rights. Everyone is supposed to have an equal right to life. However, it is an open secret that only a few will have enough resources to afford the best available treatment if that treatment is not covered by a public health system. Therefore, yes, with the liberal revolutions, everyone became equal, but some people are more equal than others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's um, very sad and very obvious that there is this trend of inequality in every aspect of life. Um, uh, but, you know, Marxist critics, uh, on the other hand, they say that despite all these very true things that Marxism touches upon, uh, especially when it comes to inequality, especially when it comes to the these uh, very Im embedded structures that the capitalist system is introducing, there's uh, it, this approach, although critical, it doesn't really serve any useful purpose when it comes to understanding legal, legal structures and frameworks. And this is because Marxism, according to critics, is not willing to work with the current structures, the current system, but is actually going beyond that. And uh, these critics also say that, you know, if you want to understand the system better and if you want to change this system better, you have to work from within the system. But Marx is something very different, isn't it? Well, surely. I think you are presenting now the two fundamental opposing um, theories um, in research. The critical theory in which in a general sense, Marxism um, uh, lives and uh, the problems on the theory. And of course, this is a fundamental issue that I take upon in my research because I am uh, claiming that uh, the problem solving approach, which the mainstream jurisprudence employs in the examination of the relationship between international humanitarian law and human rights ultimately results to uh, trying to reconciliate things that are inherently contradictory. Therefore, 
there is uh, a failure to reconcile the two legal regimes and uh, they are trying to convince that uh, human rights are applicable in times of war while when there is a contradiction with international humanitarian law uh, they disapply human rights in favor of the imperialist interests and etc. Okay, so essentially it is uh, an overall hypocrisy in uh, how the counter-arguments against uh, Marxism in this regard as essentially exploit different uh, key attributes of this system in order to make it make sense of it, in order to justify the current inequality structures that we inhabit today. Well, that, that's actually very interesting, but we would like to um, puzzle a bit with why Marxism is somewhat better equipped in answering questions related to international humanitarian law. So let's touch a bit up upon that. How, first of all, when we look at other critical legal traditions, why is Marxism better equipped? Then uh, when we look at other critical theories, such as critical constructivism and post-structuralism, feminism or post-colonial theory, they've all tried to ex understand and look at law from a very specific perspective, especially when it comes to the issue of identity crafting. Uh, I've actually seen this myself in some other papers and other research on uh, where constructivism uh, puzzles with law in that regard and, and the wider European identity. So why is Marxism better equipped in answering these questions uh, instead of other critical theories? Well, that's a great question, and um, I will try to answer it in two parts. Firstly, I will, I will generally say that uh, a Marxist should work within the critical tradition. And we should be informed as Marxists from uh, insights uh, from post-colonial theory, from feminist theory, from uh, race studies, etc. At the same time, um, at least in the case of critical legal approaches, I see that they are, they are vastly influenced by post-structuralism, and therefore their whole project is mainly deconstructive. So there is no attempt for reconstruction. That is fundamentally opposed with Marxism. Marxism is programmatic. We are trying to deconstruct the hegemonic narrative and put in its place, and different narrative. We are trying to see history from below, and we are trying to build uh, a law for, for people uh, in the lower class. Therefore, because of this fundamental epistemological uh, rupture between uh, the critical legal tradition and Marxism, uh, I do think that Marxism uh, has more to offer in the analysis and in the reconstruction of law. At the same time, for uh, particularly investigating the international humanitarian law, uh, I think that Marxism is more pertinent because uh, international humanitarian law is about the law of war. So there are questions of imperialism, questions of uh, economic relation with war, and what are the causes of war. And there are questions of um, uh, power plays between um, e economic interests, and therefore, uh, by nature, Marxism is uh, is much more relevant 
uh, with the analysis of these economic presuppositions and examining the social contradictions that uh, emanate from um, the contradictory legal regime of international humanitarian law. Okay, so essentially, when we uh, this is actually very helpful. When we look at um, international humanitarian law, do you feel that Marxist philosophy is more cynical towards it? Is it are, and at the same time, does it hold specific ideals that are perhaps difficult to achieve in a way when we're looking specifically at humanitarian law, international humanitarian law? Uh, well, of course, uh, Marxism is uh, a philosophy of praxis. So uh, we are trying, as famously in his 11th thesis on Feuerbach, Marx proclaimed, that we are trying to change the world. That's not an easy task. <laughs> Certainly not. And for sure, we are going to uh, spot the contradictions in, uh, in a legal regime, but ultimately we think that we need to act. I think it's a call for action. Marxism is a call for action. We need to theorize uh, the reality, but at the same time we need to intervene and change this reality. So uh, I think it's uh, the most difficult thing in the world to actually change the world. So to answer your question, yes, it's a very difficult task. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's also definitely, um, as you said, not an easy task. And it's quite a challenge because very often human nature itself, like, well, let's look a, a minute at like, human nature. We are comfortable with the known we have a preference to the unknown that rather than the unknown it's very difficult sometimes to change lifestyle change perspective to actually uh, exit our comfort zone and embrace a new system of ideals and that's um that's a problem because it it impedes progress and it we don't uh you know look at the alternative and this is not just about how we govern ourselves or or how we d- decide on key political decisions, but it's also a very <laughs> weird uh, lifestyle question because imagine you just wake up one day and you realize that you want to change everything about your life. And this is what Marxism, from what we understand, is trying to do, is trying to push uh, beyond the known limits, beyond the current barriers and uh, try and get to th- uh, people to think critically and engage with uh, beyond these known structures. Now, let me ask a very, I wouldn't say it's off topic, but it's uh, it's also a very interesting question. And let's see if we can actually link it with international humanitarian law. I wanted to see if we can explain, if we can touch upon the basis of Marxism and law at sea. So, uh, especially when it comes to naval studies, how does Marxism view these things and as a follow-up question, does it constitute uh, an issue of international humanitarian law in any regard? Especially when it comes to perhaps issues at sea. Uh, it could be about migration, it could be about war, uh, refugees, and so on. Well, that is a very interesting question, and that brings us back to the, relation, to the relationship between critical theory and Marxist approach to law. So, um, 
there is this boundary between contingency and necessity. And uh, for example, a historical, uh, historical materialist analysis of the law of the sea will try to reconstruct the, the history of the law of the sea and say, well, before the 16th century, the sea was divided between the then colonial powers, Spain and Portugal. In the 16th century, when there was this capitalist explosion of production and the, and the need to uh, reach new markets and uh, have an open sea, Grotius was actually commissioned by the, the Dutch East India companies to write a book about open sea. So for 300 years, there was no rule on the sea by no one. There was no sovereign power um, claiming authority of the open sea. Uh, until 1945, after World War II, where the economic interests again were developed in the level of requiring a new configuration of the law of the sea, and not with an international law act, not with an international conference on the law of the sea, for example, but instead with a U.S. president executive order, President Truman proclaimed that the resources on the continental shelf continuous to the United States belong to the United States. And this was a shift of the paradigm because exactly a materialist analysis of law would explain that this was uh, because of the development in the technology, the development in the uh, relations uh, and the mode of production that required uh, the exploitation of sea. Instead, the mere use of the sea uh, for, uh, for trade and etc. Okay. So it's, it's definitely a different, you know, it's a different perspective. And it's something that we don't, as I've mentioned from the very beginning, it's something we don't really examine in research, but also experts and uh, so-called experts, if you like, they, they don't really touch upon this more critical understanding. And as a result, there's no real change in policy, no meaningful change in policy. And, uh, but where should we begin searching for understanding and overcoming the impediments of the formation of existing legal structures in humanitarian issues, in international humanitarian law. So where, what's the starting point here? Because we can, we can identify what the end result is when we don't address these issues, is that crises are formed, atrocities are, uh, happen, and so on. But what's the origin? Where do we start looking at these things? Well, as I said, uh, we should start by understanding the role of law in the reproduction of inequalities and its ideological function. At the same time, particularly for international humanitarian law, we are uh, called to examine the, the role, uh, or if I may, the social relation of war, because war, it is a social relation. And the whole premise of international humanitarian law, law is that, that war is unavoidable. That is something even natural that comes from the egoistic nature of human beings. beings. So, so uh, if we want to challenge international humanitarian law at its uh, very uh, fundamental premise, we need to challenge this notion of unavoidability. So, uh, 
dialectical materialist analysis of international humanitarian law will start from uh, the point of uh, the dialectical analysis of unities of opposites. So if, if there is no war, there can be no peace. Uh, both these notions uh, are necessary in order to uh, examine social reality. And therefore, we need to ask why war is, is necessary. And then we go back to the um, uh, relations of productions, to the dominant interests, and we are trying to build a counter-hegemonic narrative on uh, uh, the necessary nature of war, and we are trying to say that international humanitarian law is fundamentally um, a problematic uh, field of law, and we need to uh, reputate not only international humanitarian law, but of course, war itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, the uh, issue of hegemony, it's, it also appears as a very key discussion point in other theories, not within legal studies, but uh, within my field, international relations, we have the issue of hegemony uh, being addressed multiple times in uh, more realist uh, international relations analysis, but also in more critical and Marxist analysis. I mean, for example, one of my favorite authors, Robert Cox, keeps on referring to the issue of hegemony and addressing the this issue based on Gram Gramscian analysis using historical blocks. It's quite interesting and quite helpful to understand that, you know, these existing legal structures, again, there's... Uh, there is a struggle at, at, at present throughout at any given conflict. And the fact that certain theories or certain legal or otherwise other structures, they feel that a war itself is natural. In fact, actually, realism it understands war as, a, as you've said as well. And this is based on very classical thinking uh, that war is a natural state of humanity and the only uh, periods that a war is absent is when we have peace is like a disturbance or war breaks out because of a tip in the balance of power so it's interesting to see that as well in uh, the legal structure uh, understanding of how you know international humanitarian law views this as you've uh, so rightly pointed out it's quite interesting now as a very last question, I wanted to ask you regarding your research specifically, what do you hope to achieve with your research? What kind of impact do you want to have and what specifically would you like to stress out? Well, my research is exactly on the relationship between international humanitarian law and human rights law. And it came as a reaction to what I think a hypocritical term of uh, international courts, where they were saying that oh, human rights are applicable in times of war, but when they were confronted with with a question, uh, with a conflicting rule between human rights and IHL, uh, they were saying that we need to make a harmonious interpretation of the two legal regimes, and in effect, they were disapplying human rights while uh, proclaiming to have used merely an interpretive technique. So I see nothing harmonious in this hypocritical approach, except a failed attempt to reconcile the actual existing material needs with the big promises of human rights law.
So I aspire to, by the end of my PhD, to uh, reconstruct the history of IHR, of human rights, and of their relationship in order to shed light on the future of their relationship. And in that way, uh, give legal argumentation to uh, the subalterns, to people of uh, lower classes and exploited classes, and trying to build this counter-hegemonic narrative uh, in order to, to, to deal uh, with the lower protection that um, they enjoy currently. Thank you, Andres. It's, uh, as you've said at the beginning, it's no easy task, but it's definitely, it definitely sounds like this is uh, a very useful contribution and it does address this gap uh, between the, those theories and uh, the, the things that you're looking at examining. So thank you very much for your time and I wish you all the best in your research. Well, Petros, thanks a lot. And as you have said, it's not an easy task, but uh, as Marx famously wrote, uh, although men make their own history, they do not make it under self-selected circumstances. So we need to acknowledge the better of the past and at the same time fight for a new reality. After all, the point is to change the world. Thanks, Petros. Absolutely. Thank you, Andreas. Thank you.